We slept in what had once been the gymnasium. The floor was of varnish wood, with stripes and circles painted on it, for the games that were formerly played there. Welcome to the Ofcast, A Handmaid's Tale Reader. This episode, we're talking about Chapter One. I'm your host, Elsie Eigerman, and I'm here with my co-host, Max Mariner. So, Max, did you read the chapter? I sure did, and I do like how that's the first question that should be asked. <laughs> like this is it, it's this a is good high school first again. question. Yeah, yeah. Like the first thing to know is, did you read it? Because yeah, <laughs> I um, there were many times, uh, like as. Handmaid's Tale was a part of my high school curriculum. Unfortunately, much like many of the books I had to read, I did not read it, so this is my first opportunity. And, like, them reading quizzes that my teacher would give out every time just completely destroyed me. Like, it was not, not good. What are the names of the aunts mentioned in this chapter? Oh, God. Oh, um, <laughs> one of them is J- Jamie. <laughs> and that's just it. I would just write Jamie in there. That, that, that would just be the end. You're wrong! <laughs> Huh? Neither Janine. of them are named, oh, named Jamie, nor Janine. It's Sarah and Elizabeth. Oh, I was thinking of the names at the very end. All right, see, this is this is where this is why, like, I'm the novice and you're the expert. <laughs> All right. Um, so, how about we summarize the chapter for the the listeners at home? Yeah. So they sleep in a gymnasium, and the narrator whomever she is, uh, is sad. And uh, she describes wanting to break free. Yeah, we and, get like some f- flashbacks about uh, like the idea of teenagerhood, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first line, we slept in what had once been the gymnasium, that kind of that sets a tone. Yeah, and there's a lot of talking about, like, well, here's what the games would have looked like, here's what the dances would have looked like. Um, and there's the first big disconnect, right? Like, but we know what those things are because those are used for things. Yeah, uh, but it, it's it's sort of out of place because they're they're sleeping in these like very orderly cots that are, are are distanced apart so that they can't talk to each other, and they have army issue sheets. Sounds like the best summer camp ever. Yeah. And there are women patrolling with cattle prods because the women aren't allowed to have guns. Yeah, I was, that was a really, like, that was almost a moment of humor. I was like, you know, they had, like, these these cattle prods wrapped in yeah. their leather belts. No guns, though. No, 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 none of those. Just, um, no, women, <laughs> they can't, they can't guns. No, we'll just give the authoritative female uh, figures some, like, actual u- stuff they use on wild animals and cows. Like... Imagery yeah. of dehumanization. Mm-hmm. This is definitely, uh, what, what, is this set in a utopia? Is that correct? <laughs> yes, this is very utopian fiction. What comes to my mind first is that there is no mention of the narrator, what her name is, who like, really who she is. Yeah. Uh, we, it is definitely from the perspective of one of the prisoners, because there's like, it, it's very much about, she's definitely describing uh, the power structure from looking upwards, right? Yeah. And and yeah. she's saying that, that she's in one of the beds. We slept in what had once been the gymnasium. It, yeah. Um, and she describes women patrolling around. It's clear that she isn't one of those women. Um, 
Yeah, one of the interesting things about the the chapter is the the last line where there's a, a list of names. Alma, Janine, Dolores, Moira, June. Some people have read this to mean that Offred's name is actually June. Uh, because Alma, Janine, Dolores, and Moira all appear in the, the, the book elsewhere. And in fact, the, the Hulu television series takes this idea and runs with it and actually names Offred June, has her um, stating that's her, her name. Um, but we don't get a, a name for, for Offred uh, in the book. And in fact, uh, Atwood has stated that, like, June wasn't the intended name of, of Offred. Uh, it's just sort of random that it's the, the last name there. Um, but it's, it's totally fine with that interpretation at the very least. Yeah. You know, not to sound too much like a straight white male, but this reminds me of Fight Club in that we would have um, the character who would just kind of, he would name job a possessive uh, for Jack when he was yeah. describing sort of himself, but it was never really made clear if his name was Jack. It was just like... A name. I'm not sure what uh, was his name, Chuck Palahniuk or whatever. Like, well, I'm not sure what his intention was if that name was actually given. But the fact that our narrator like doesn't even have like a <clears throat> real name in yeah. the author's intent is 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 fascinating. Um, I mean, there's certainly oh. parallels to the like reeducation present in Project Mayhem um, in this sort of weird kind of restructured school. Definitely. What, I've, uh, what I what I also find interesting is how she describes like, like when I first got this book and I saw The Handmaid's Tale, I immediately thought this was like, even though this was a dystopia, I thought this would like this had been written decades ago. You know, like just because yeah. I obviously you know my first jump was the Canterbury Tales, and I believe that's yeah, supposed it's, an to be re- it's an intentional reference on the part of Atwood is the the Canterbury Tales reference present in the name. Yeah. So when she stopped, when she drops uh, the spiky green streaked hair, I'm like, oh right, this was written in the eighties. Yeah. Like, it's just a yeah. It's a moment um, of like clarity wherein, like we're watching. It's weird because dystopias written in past decades are fascinating things because they don't prey on modern fears. They don't prey on modern problems and stuff. They prey on the ideas and problems of of long ago, where it sound it looks even more alien now than it did back then oh yeah i mean there's cer- it's it's certainly a product of the 1980s and i, I really appreciate the sort of the way the green hair appears is in this sort of march of progress this idea that the the girls who are watching the games are felt skirted as i knew from pictures later in mini skirts then pants then in one earring spiky green streaked hair um, that there is sort of this march of progress away from conformity for these young women, and n- now that's all gone, um, and, and now this place is being used as a re-education center. Yeah, re-education center. Um, I wanted to ask you, Elsie, uh, as yes. the like, as the expert of the two of us, based on your readings, how do you feel about this chapter as an opening? Like knowing what you know about the rest of the book, how do you feel? The Handmaid's Tale opens with uh, with this first chapter. I think it's actually a really excellent opening. Um, having read the book several times, there's a lot of uh, themes that you see later on being initially uh, introduced here. So there's this idea of Offred as a refugee from the past. Um, I, this is expressed throughout the book because I, 
it is set in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, so she recognizes a lot of the locations around her. Um, but here, she's sort of nostalgically calling back to this teenagehood past that isn't necessarily specific, but more general. And this idea of like yearning for another person and of yearning for that physicality um, uh, comes up later as well. The general sort of style of the book as far as um, sort of a series of images that um, appear and it's not really like linear and, and temporally based. Uh, and the acts of small rebellion. I, the, the thing about The Handmaid's Tales, this isn't a book where Katniss Everdeen overthrows the government. Um, this, this is not some, some great act of huge rebellion, There's, but it's chock full of tiny rebellions, such as um, the end of the chapter where it describes how we learn to whisper almost without sound in semi-darkness we could stretch out our arms when the aunts weren't looking and touch each other's hands across space we learn to lip read our heads flat on the beds turned sideways watching each other's mouths and how they like exchange oh names God. through this way so they can cling on to their identity this isn't a huge form of rebellion this isn't taking back the school from the aunts but this is a a affront to what's being done here it's it's like it's very haunting like oh it, yeah in that uh it was, somebody actually brought this up um and i I'm, i have a bad feeling i might be saying this throughout this adventure but uh on twitter <laughs> i read that uh one of like one of my uh favorite film critics his favorite movie is robocop and what he describes is that in robocop the bad guys already won and it's not really a victory of the hero taking down the corporation like, this is not, you know, even though Robocop does eventually take down, like, the bad guys, it's not really a story wherein the bad guys lose anything. It's like, you can fight back as, you know, you can get gunned down, revived as a synthetic police officer, and then kill all the evil businessmen you want, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, it's like yeah. the world is already lost. And that, I think, is a lot more daunting and a bit more real, like, really a bit more close to reality then Katniss Everdeen saving Pan Am uh, from like from the evil rich people and stuff. Oh yeah, I and mean, this is definitely a dystopia that we are seeing from one of the lowest members of a society. Yeah, it, it reminds me like just to make another obvious reference. It's like if in Harry Potter, if Voldemort died and the Ministry was like still controlled by like the Death Eaters, like if it just didn't matter because it, it, none of it matters. Like yeah. the power structure I mean, doesn't fit like that. Fun fact, there is a Harry Potter Handmaid's Tale fan fiction out there, and I love it. You can find it on Archive of Our Own. There's only three chapters, and it makes me so sad. Wow, that's really interesting. I Yeah, like the premise of the fic is like Voldemort won, and uh, he's obsessed with blood purity, and there aren't enough pureblood children. Um, so there's all these forced marriages between all of these like minor characters that we know and love. Um and like this really coercive social structure, it's great. Mm -hmm. That's fa that's really interesting. And as um, as I have seen in your previous works, you send you seem to have a pretty good grasp on a uh, good fan fiction. I like fan fiction. Fan fiction's <laughs> fun. Yeah, um, I wanted uh, to ask. Um, then I hope we can make this like a thing. Like, what was your what is your personal favorite little like bit of the of this chapter? Oh. um... I, I just like the the description of what had once been in the gymnasium. Hmm. I 
the there's so there's this, this really long line that's like dances would have been held there the music lingered a palimpsest of unheard sounds style upon style an undercurrent of drums a forlorn of a forlorn wail, garlands made of tissue paper flowers, cardboard devils, a revolving ball of mirrors powdering the dancers with a snow of light. Um, and I think this yeah. sort of gets back to what you were saying about how this chapter is really haunting. I mean, literally, the gymnasium is haunted. Uh, yeah. Like, she describes like these ghosts of teenage girls in the um, gymnasium. Yeah. As As soon as I read this, I was like, this is why this is like... This is why this was required reading in high school, because it hits you a lot harder when you know that environment so well. Oh, yeah. When you are, like, it is a punch to the gut. And, I, and even uh, as, even all these years after high school, I can still look back and, like, consider my gymnasium and use it as sort of a, a conduit for this story being told. And it's still, like, it's still pretty, uh, it's unsettling, definitely. I have to say that the book is so much more unsettling when you go to school near Cambridge and, like, know the places that are being referenced later on. Um, because she does actually a really good job as far as alluding to, to places that, that exist. Uh, so what was your favorite, uh, bit? My favorite part is, uh, it's, if I may preface this, have you ever wanted, have you ever read or seen or played something? And at one point near the beginning, you're like, I wish I could have gone into this blind instead of knowing the general premise. Yes. So that's what I had. That's the experience I had when it said we had flannelette sheets like children's and army issue blankets old ones that still said U.S. Had I not known where we are, like, had I not had the cultural osmosis to tell me that this is off-red talking, that we are in the Republic of Gilead, in a world where the, um, where the United States has fallen, that would have, like, that would have just hooked, like, just hook around my neck, like, like, just, uh, pulled me right into the book, because that is a powerful, great way to, like, found, like, to build a foundation uh, of the stakes and the environment that we are uh, about to explore in The Handmaid's Tale. It's just, it's oh, a yeah. powerful statement. And such a good, like, throwaway line, because she doesn't even linger on the fact that, like, there's been a revolution or yes, a coup I love or anything that. like that. I love that. Yes, uh -huh. it's like, it's, that, it's the, that kind of, those kind of subtleties that pull you and that make you feel like you are aware of the situation, but it doesn't feel like it's being talked down to you. It's just, like, being given to you, and it's up to you, the reader, the player, the watcher, to kind of Take it and use it, you know, and participate and use it as your own uh, bit. It's it's the opposite of like something like Star Wars, wherein it is where we have each movie open with three paragraphs describing exactly where we are in the story, which is a fine way of doing it. But um, I think this way is like much more like rewarding and satisfying, and that's oh, why yeah. it's my favorite part. I would also like to bring up um, mm -hmm. there is a part of this chapter that I do not understand, um, and so Ooh, I'm so I would, excited. Yeah, so. The first part that really got me, the first, like, it was funny, even though I was reading through, like, the, the first time I, like, really had to stop and read a description, a descriptor, a few times, was the, uh, was the phrase old sex. Like, that was, yeah. I wasn't sure, I, I kept thinking it was the smell of old sex, which is a little bit more palpable, or is it just the act of it? Like, that was the first thing. Um, I think it's, it's the feeling. I think it's, it's sort of, uh... Uh, like it's, it's it's like the the cheering girls and the dances. It's that people were sort of I don't know. Like it's like a, you go to a high school dance. There are people like making out and grinding and stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's it's that sort of idea that there's sort of like this feeling of I mean, because it it, it uh, 
the the further thing she gets into is sort of and loneliness and expectation of something without shape or name. Um, yeah, that's that's impl- the thing that like really got me. I, I read through this sentence like four times. I remember that yearning for something that was always about to happen and was never the same as the hands that were on us there and then in the small of the back or like in the small of the back of the gymnasium or out back or in the parking lot and then like with only or in the television room which is in a house right not in a gymnasium i mean that's the thing she really jumps around with images and that's why it's this is such an impossible text to adapt um Yeah. yeah well it's 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 the idea of like high school sex of this like making out well like it's it she's describing netflix and chill oh that okay because she gets back to from old sex she goes to flickering over lifting flesh and like i know that image okay that yeah. is very clear yeah because it's it's this uh it's never the same as the hands that were on us there and then it's like you're making out with a guy netflix and chill style and it's like you really want something but you can't really express what it is because you're this high school girl and it's so unfathomable um but the yearning is so intense Hmm. yeah that talent for insatiability like wherein we can you know we can get (laughs) we can get laid but we want you know but it's never like enough right like as as teenagers we are like I guess it's when we are first introduced to the concept of a sex drive, and it's just like yes. it is un it's unfathomable how much we want to explore it and understand it when we don't even realize that we have time to do so over decades, not over uh, a a semester. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's and this is again like a, a theme that appears throughout the book is this idea of like what exactly is love and where are where is the line between love and lust. Um. And yeah, so there's sort of, and I, I think there's a kind of sadness that they're not allowed to have that anymore. Yeah, um, and then going from that, um, from the the insatiabilities of, I guess in this case, teenage girls to the authoritative figures, and then to the women not having the ability to use the ultimate authoritative weapon, uh, instead of leaving that to the men. I feel like that's an interesting transition yeah. from one power structure and one human experience to a much more controlled one, a much more directive and uh, oppressive one. Yeah, and we get sort of the first mentions of uh, the, the sort of female bodily capital um, that very much defines the book. So, uh, for example, she talks about the women thinking about how they could escape because they, they could exchange something with the, the guards. Um, it's like something could be exchanged, we thought. Some deal made, some trade-off. We still had our bodies. That was our fantasy. Oh, um, yeah. That was, I was like, oh, that's, that is, that is dark. Like, yeah. Like, clinging to the only thing you have. Oh. Yeah, but like, this is a re-education center so that they can be used for their bodies as handmaids. Um, and, and it's, it's, this idea of like the, the 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 female body is something that can be controlled or given. Um, yeah, and it was what especially kind of hit me was um, this is again this is like one of the one of these instances where I relate something that happens in my life to like understanding the imagery yeah. of a text. Uh, 
I live, um, when I'm back home with my parents, I live within walking distance of my elementary school. <laughs> and a lot of the times, I will, a lot of the, like, pretty much on most evenings, I'll take my dog out uh, just to, to that field, to the empty field, and just walk around uh, the, the field that is not the size of a football field, but it's still pretty big, and just allow her to, to roam. And to, and to then connect that with that these women have to walk, like, it's the only source of exercise and outside experience that they have is really it's uh it, it's gutting it uh it gets right it gets around your skin because i oh, yeah. can see that image very clearly and the clearer it is the more uh the more solid it is the more cold the reality is oh yeah and i i, I think well when i read this book for the first time when i was about 15 years old um that's one of the reasons i found it so relatable i really could see myself in Offred, despite the fact that Offred is in her 30s, she's had a child, um, she's in a fundamentally different situation than the one that I'm in, um, but the the imagery is so vivid and the it, it's so evocative and, and emotional uh, that it, you, you can't help but relate it to your own life. It's sort of the opposite of like the YA protagonist who's so bland and therefore you can see yourself inside her. Yeah, um, I'm kind of used to that with uh, like not only why novel protagonists, but also like in more literal term, like video game protagonists oh, yeah. who don't have personalities and they're just kind of there to be the character. Especially when it's a character like uh, Link from Legend of Zelda, who is a character that people recognize, but is just like so flat and like devoid of personality by design. It's like how does it even make sense? In this case, the experience of the character of the character like carries her narration and the world in which we are introduced. It's um. It's a much, it's a much different, it's a, it's a contrast to a lot of popular media that I consume personally, and that's, uh, that's why it's pretty captivating. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I, I wanted to know, just based on your experience as a reader, um, I wanted to ask you about length, because this is perhaps the shortest first chapter I've ever read. Like, it's right up there with the only other, the only other, like, thing I can think of that is this short is the opening of the Scarlet Letter, which, instead of a gymnasium, it's about a door. But it's also extremely short. I mean, and like, I feel like this is done instead of like a news crawl or something similar. Um, that like, this is the equivalent introduction that we get. Um, because the second chapter doesn't follow linearly the same way that the third and fourth chapters um, follow from the second chapter. Uh, uh, so this is setting the stage. Yeah, this is setting the stage, really. Despite the fact that it just raises many more questions than it answers. Uh, but like that's a lot more interesting than like, than like just you know, our story begins yes. in this place. Like this is much more like, no, this is this is the world, man. This is not fun. <laughs> Let me just give you a piece of my experience to show you just how screwed the whole world is, and oh, that yeah. that that helps a lot. It's a lot more. Um, it's a lot more like, it it picks my curiosity much stronger than it would have otherwise. And I think this is this chapter is relatively short, even for this this novel. Um. It's like a it's like a page and a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> like it depends what edition you're looking at, but it's like it is like two to three pages really. It's it's very, very short. Um whereas chapter two is like I'm gonna say five pages. Uh but yeah, I mean the the chapters are so short but so dense. Uh I mean there's just so much imagery here in this, like, three pages. 
There, seriously, I had to go through this like a few times. Oh yeah. Because I was like, I, like there's a lot to consume. I mean, five pages in chapter two. I'll say I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, like you know, we can we can go chronologically on this, but it is easy to just jump back and forth in between different images, different uh, oh, yeah. descriptors, and just find so much to talk about in each thing. And that's possibly why it makes it so dense to cover. I, I, like, just to, like, recap. Because it, it, it's powerful. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... it's I, I think that the, it would only be properly adapted if it was adapted by, like, some video artist because it just cuts so quickly between things. Oh, and just the image of the football field that's now enclosed by chain link fence topped with barbed wire. Yeah. Like you're taking a school it's... that's already sort of prison-like in nature and making it even more so. Yeah, I mean the metaphor of like, I'm you know I don't think anybody who with experience with media is like unfamiliar with the school as metaphor for yes. prison type because I feel like. You know, given the given the American education system, I feel like a lot of creative minds who came out of that system uh, had a few ways to describe it, <laughs> and prison was usually the first yeah, well, place I mean, to go. Like, I don't, it's like, yeah. um, Foucault, who will come up again, because Foucault is very much a big believer of, of little rebellions. Foucault's whole thing was like, school is like prison, hospitals are like prison, everything is a prison. Um He's a, a, a French social theorist uh, from about the same time this novel was written. What I'm also, just the last thing I want to cover mm -hmm. real quick. I want to talk about the guards. Yes, the angels. Um, yeah, which is just, God. I, if, if I were guards, I would want to be called, if I was a guard, I would just be called a guard, not an angel. That's like, yeah. that is, that is like, I don't even know, like, it's like a religious kind of... And, like, the angels are, like, high-ranking soldiers because mm. they don't let the guardians guard the handmade but compound. Because they're closer to God, yeah. So, yeah, you have, like, like the commanders are the highest-ranking because, like, the, the, the handmaids get sent to live with commanders. And then, like, guardians are, like, traffic cops. And then the angels are, like, the, the, the important good soldiers. I'm surprised the the uh, commanders aren't called archangels. Yeah, that that would be cool, but it would kind of it would, <laughs> it would get a little too woo for this book. Yeah, um, that the fact that the guards are like have such like robotic movements and uh, restrictions. Yeah, the, the guards weren't allowed inside the building except when called, and they weren't allowed out except for our walks twice daily. Like these guys can't move anywhere, and it's it's not human. It's not. Yeah, and they're like they're standing it, with their backs to the women. They're sort of like these, these yeah. statues. Um, I get the sense that um, media, like dystopic media, has a habit of like reining in the human element by turning the humans into things, like object, like a very literal objectification. You take, you know, you make a human. Uh, take away their voice, that's one thing. Take away their face, that's one thing. But having them turn their backs to you, standing still, without even their own agency, yeah. that is, like, that's an entirely different ballgame. Well, game. I mean, yeah, that's true of, of, of normal fascism in, in real life. Is It's all about turning the, the individual into an object, into a unit of society. Um, Which is not uh, my preferred way of living, personally. Yeah, not great. not great. Not great. Would do not recommend. Um, Zero out of ten. A two out of five for me. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's 
it's like I think you know I don't mean to bring up a uh, a both sides argument here, but it does sound like nobody really wins at this place. Nobody like yeah. nobody's having a good time in this gymnasium jail. It's the guards are inhuman. The ants have cattle plods, but they don't even get to like be like a true authority. Yeah, I mean, and the, the handmaids are well, yeah. It's sort of like the the ants are farmers. Is part mm-hmm. of it too. It's like they're they they have power, but it's like over these very lowly people and it's not really that fulfilling of a a, a life just like re-educating people i guess um yeah since this was all since this book was also written after uh 1945 i can't help but wonder if this imagery perhaps <clears throat> i don't know these women are caged and uh trapped in this giant place huddled together can't talk to each other I get some concentration camp vibes. I don't know if that's going to be continuous, that's continuous, but I feel like with a, with a lot of dystopic fiction, it kind of yeah, goes that I mean, way. it's also I, like I this imagine. novel was written in 1985, and uh, it's definitely part of that post World War II era where people were kind of obsessive about the Holocaust. Um, that's I I I can't imagine why in the 80s that would be a thing. Well, so it's like immediately after the war, people didn't really want to talk about it. I mean, you had films of the camps, people were aware of it, um, but it wasn't something that was in the zeitgeist. Uh, it, what wasn't a popular conversation at parties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you really don't start getting like films about the Holocaust until a little bit later on. Um, and I don't know. This is, you know, but then there was like a resurgence. Yeah, of it was sort of, of things that like my mother says is that like you know in the eighties people were very obsessive about the Holocaust and um yeah there's a there there are many allusions to the Holocaust throughout the the novel so this is gonna be fun yeah and yeah I, I, it's weird how the Holocaust this this massacre has been basically the um has basically been Gilgamesh for dystopic fiction and imagery. Like, yeah, it I mean, is like where everybody goes. For, for better or for worse. Um, I mean, at least with The yeah, Handmaid's Tale, right. the, there's like ideology behind it. And it's not just like imagery for imagery's sake. Because like Harry Potter has mm-hmm. a lot of uh, mm-hmm. Nazi illusions, but they're usually not super well done. And that's fine. Yeah, When it's visual, like, visually like in the movies it's a lot more like it's a lot more powerful and they don't have as much time to kind of dwell yeah. in it it's just like part of the background imagery which is back it's part of the senior which is not great but also it's quick and we don't have to like dwell on it for 600 chapters but in this case it's it feels much more like yeah as i think it's a lot get, more subtly wrote, done is. in places yeah in some parts of the book it's not subtle remotely at all but this part i think it's somewhat subtle yeah and uh I guess it's weird, even as somebody who doesn't read dystop- like dystopias that much, it's just very easy for me to like snap and be like, hey, I recognize that illusion. <laughs> man, <laughs> great. Where, where are the gas chamber analogies, man? <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. It's just like that kind of like instant, like uh, near yeah. instantaneous snap. And it, it creates kind of a language for like, for this kind of story, for this kind of world, which is oh, yeah. in itself kind of uh like kind of terrible but in a way that's understandable yeah like the language of 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 like of why genocide 
is now like fictional uh, is now just like fictional fodder and it's I'm not sure if I'm like against it because I understand it it's it's a it's a language that people understand and it allows us to jump on to um, understanding themes and character a little bit better with like the background scenery but it's it's an entire discussion unto itself that I don't know if it's really worth this very uh, first chapter's discussion. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I think we'll we'll hit more of it, so this will be an ongoing discussion. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so. Cool. Thank you yeah, for thanks listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> I'm Elsie Eigerman. You can find me on Twitter at the Muse Sappho and on YouTube Sappho of Lesbos and on Instagram at the Muse Sappho. Yeah. Um. I'm your co- I'm our co-host Max Manner. I uh, I I'm also on Twitter at Mr. Max Mariner. That's M R Max Mariner. Mariner with an extra R in the middle, like the baseball team with an extra R. And uh, you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com/slash/maxmariner, and on Instagram. Mr.